The interview you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia on Germantown Community Radio at 92.9 FM, WGGTLP Philadelphia, and gtownradio.com. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Planet Philadelphia. I'm Kay Wood, the host. Linda Rosenwein is here with me on this call, and today we'll be speaking with Stefan Crawford. He's the executive producer of something called the Climate Music Project. Hi, and thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. We always like to ask people when we start if they could just tell the listeners a little bit about themselves, if you wouldn't, please. Well, I'm a bit of a hybrid. Um, I am an artist. I've been an art, a studio artist for the last 16 years, but I also have a background, uh, an educational background in the sciences and also had um, a music. I'm an amateur musician, but also had a long career in public service that preceded my arts career. Wow. I think some of the most interesting work is done when people have access to a lot of different fields. So I'm sure that has contributed to what you're doing now. Very directly, actually. The project came together as a confluence of all these different interests over the years. Um, they, all, they all just flowed together magically in 2014. So, Explain to, for the listeners what the Climate Music Project is. Sure. So if simply put, we connect people to climate science and action through music. And the idea here is that we our music is what we call science guided, which means that it is art, but it's art that reflects and is in somehow in some ways guided by climate science and data. What would that mean? Give us an example. Well, I'll give you a very good example. We currently have three portfolio compositions that we're performing. We're creating new music, but just very briefly, in terms of how the science is reflected in the data, there are a number of ways that can happen. Very simply, it could happen in, in, if, if the song has lyrics, for example, but there are also more direct ways. So, for example, we often make use of a, um, a technique called parameter mapping. Think of it as, as kind of like the analogy of a theater, of, of a play, essentially, where you have a script. And the script, in this case, would re represent the scientific story that we want to tell. And the script has roles, and the roles are the data sets that then play out by actors in the music that take on these roles and, and then play them. So, for example, in our second piece called Icarus in Flight, the composer whose name is Richard Festinger, it's a uh, piece for um, chamber music, he, for example, represents a population data set, the growth of population over time, the, as the density of musical events. So in other words, as the population rises, the music begins to sound more populated. There are more notes per unit time. And that's just a very simple way of explaining what parameter mapping is. That's another technique we use. And then there's a third technique called autification, which is simply that's a direct sonic display of data, which can be created by software. I know I'm sort of familiar with music for the spheres, which is kind of about the stars and the heavens and sounds like some sort of similar kind of an idea of mapping music to events. Yeah, but I should say I should say that that the process we that we use is very, very much of an active collaboration between a composer 
and one or more scientists. The scientists really are at the, at the center of this, of this uh, collaboration. Again, what we're doing is we're creating art. We want the art though to reflect a story. So for example, each of our pieces tells a different story. We have one, for example, that talks a little bit, that explores the relationship between climate change, for example, and what's happening with sea level rise. We have one piece, our very first piece, for example, tells the story about the physical science, why, what is actually happening in the atmosphere. Our second piece that I mentioned, Icarus in Flight, explores human drivers of the climate crisis. How did we get here? And so each of these, each of these pieces is tell, trying to, is looking to, 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 to tell a different story. And that story is told actually when the music is created, it comes, it, it, it emerges from a very in-depth interactive uh, process between the composers and the scientists where we are using these techniques called parameter mapping, but we're also engaging the composer first up in, in sort of a, a crash course on the science, just so the composer really has an idea of what is the science telling us. And then throughout the process, it's an iterative process in which the composer will come back with, with drafts, the scientists will sit down with the composer, talk over the drafts, and then make some tweaks and edits for the next iteration until we actually end up with a piece that is both powerful as music, but also can reflect uh, the story as we want it to, as, as it should be told. Um, and I believe we have some excerpts that we'd be able to Great. play. Great. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. And are these um, accompanied with words or how does, the, how does the public know what you're trying to say? That's a very good question. And typically when we do live performances and when we can, if we're doing uh, online performances, we typically like to structure each performance in three parts. The first uh, part is an introduction by one of our scientists that typically explains how we're doing it uh, and, and why we're doing it. Um, and sort of to set the context uh, for the audience. And then we have the concert. And then after the concert, we engage the public in a, uh, a dialogue, sort of a Q&A engagement uh, segment where the audience can ask questions about what they just experienced, what, what does the music mean? How does it reflect to the science? And then just very importantly, we always then lead that conversation into a conversation around solutions and opportunities for action, pathways to practical action. Because at the end of the day, we're not about just putting on interesting concerts. We're about actually helping to inspire, motivate and facilitate climate action. And you and the people who are working with this seem to feel that the music and also visual elements, I believe, are a very powerful way to engage the audience in this sort of discussion. Yeah, you know, that's a, the, the visual elements are, are, are absolutely a very core part as well, because the visuals in each piece provide a reference. They just, uh, and oftentimes, for example, most of our music runs across a timeline. So, for example, our first piece runs from the year 1800 to the present and then into the future to the year 2250. And so we use we use the visuals to help the audience understand where they are in time, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so the visuals are really an important element uh, of, of the piece. And then I'm sorry, the second part of your question was. Well, the music is a, as a way to communicate and engage. Yeah, we like to say our goal is to make climate science and the urgency that climate science is telling us is there. We want to make that personal uh, and make it personal by making it viscerally felt in our audiences. Music is something that you don't just experience passively. You can feel music. And it uh, sort of the, the feedback that we've been receiving from our audiences now over 
six years of performances validates the idea that this is a really powerful way to communicate the, this message of urgency, urgency of climate action. Let me just say again, I want to emphasize that what we're doing is not science. We are creating music, but the music, because it reflects certain elements of science, provides a perfect convener to come around and, and to build conversations around where we are, what is happening in the world, and what we can do about it specifically. I noticed in some of what I've read that performances have been held in a number of interesting places. Would you want to talk about that? Sure. We became an, a fiscally sponsored nonprofit organization in 2015 and then had our first premiere uh, at a planetarium in Oakland, California at the end of in November 2015. That was, uh, it was a sellout. Actually, the first two performances were completely sold out there at the planetarium. And that was really exciting because we were able to use the entire resources of a planetarium on the visual side to really enhance the piece. That was quite amazing. We've also performed in an IMAX theater at the Tech Museum of Innovation in, in, in Silicon Valley. We performed in, in, in um, places of worship, for example, Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. We did a concert there in 2016. We've done uh, performances overseas in an old uh, colonial palace in Mexico City. We performed at a World Bank event in 2018, for example. We, we did a virtual video event at uh, an old university in Venice, Italy. So it's been a, been a wide, wide range of, of venues. Maybe now is the time for some examples. So this, this first clip is from our very first composition called Climate by composer e Eric Ian Walker. He's a San Francisco-based composer who's very versatile. He was the, the, really the ideal composer to launch this project with. He's not only... Um, versatile he's very collaborative he's quite brilliant as a composer and uh, was able to make really a quite an impressive piece um, from a very challenging uh, a very challenging job we, we, we gave him so this uh, again this piece explores uh, sort of the physical science of climate change what is happening in our atmosphere again it goes over uh, 450 years from 1800 to 50. This clip, however, just runs from 1957 to 1996, just as things are beginning to accelerate a bit. And let me just tell you quickly that in this case, we're looking at three different data sets. One is CO2 concentration in the atmosphere. That's represented by the tempo of the music. The temperature, near Earth temperature, is represented by the pitch of the music. And the earth energy balance or the balance between incoming energy from the sun and outgoing infrared radiation from the earth is represented by distortion so as as these things develop you'll begin to hear the piece speed up becoming uh, a little higher in pitch and then also distorted uh, over time so here we go
that took us right up to 1996. Is there another example you wanted to share with us? Well, there are two if you if you will. You, well, you can pick the pick and choose the ones you would want. Uh, here's this next clip is from our second piece called Icarus in Flight by composer Richard Festinger. It explores three human drivers of the climate crisis over 200 years from 1880 to the year 2080 in the future. The three, the three um, drivers that it explores are population growth, which, as I mentioned earlier, is represented by the density of musical events. So the more, uh, the higher the population grows or the more people there are on Earth, the, the more crowded the music sounds, there are more notes per unit time. Fossil fuel emissions are represented by uh, the frequency of notes, but starting in the middle of the register. So as we continue to emit uh, fossil fuels over the course of the piece, you'll hear, start to hear both very loud or very high pitches and very low pitches, increasingly so. Um, and then finally, land use change or how humans are converting natural landscapes to human uses is represented by a number of specialized playing techniques, which just sound a little odd. And as you can be, you begin to hear the music populated by these odd, odd sounds. And as that happens, that's proportional to the percentage of land that's being converted uh, uh, to human uses. So let's go ahead and hear a little bit of Icarus in Flight. This is uh, being performed by the Telegraph Quartet uh, out of the Bay Area here. Should have mentioned that that was um, roughly the 1990s. Uh, okay, and I have one more clip, if that's okay. So, sure. So this third, this third clip is from "What If We," which is our most recent composition, composed by composer Wendy Loomis with Royal Kent in San Francisco, uh, and it explores uh, the impact of climate change on our sea levels. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, one of the things we do sometimes is we reflect the science through vocals or the, uh, a spoken element. And in this case, we do that, and we do that by imagining. Uh, plausible, based on the science, plausible headlines from the year 2045, and that, that is laid over the music in part of it, so this is what you'll hear. It's a 
September 15, 2045, rising sea levels could cost the world $14 trillion a year by 2100. September 15, 2045, the Arctic Ocean is ice-free for the first time. September 15, 2045, residents of the Maldives are struggling with increasing flooding due to sea level rise. September 15, 2045. In the UK, the Houses of Parliament and Westminster Abbey are both flooded. September 15, 2045. Sea level rise could flood 1.9 million US homes by the year 2100. So those are the three clips. Uh, we often wonder ourselves whether we're just preaching to the converted do you have any idea whether uh, the music has helped people to be more active? You know, uh, that's an interesting question. So first of all, our first performances were, were mostly in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and because they were billed as climate concerts, they, were, they did try, try, tend to attract people who were already interested in the issue. But what we found was that even in a place like the San Francisco Bay Area, which ostensibly, um, you know, has a lot of a lot of scientists and there's, there's a lot of awareness here. Um, what we found was that was that there is a lot of awareness about the issue, but not so much about the urgency. We've had a lot of comments, even from people who have been reading about climate change for many years, who just weren't quite so aware of how urgent the issue is. And it's urgent, I should mention, only because science tells us that we still have just enough time to turn course to a better outcome. And that's why it's urgent. Um, if, it, if there was nothing we could do, it wouldn't be urgent. But um, so I think, I think even in the Bay Area, there is value of, of helping people who are already aware of the issue to become aware of the urgency of the issue and then to facilitate that next step. And you know that, that facilitation of action is something we've been struggling with because we know the concerts uh, generate a lot of emotional energy. We know that because our audiences tell us. Um, and I could share, if you're interested, I could share some quotes from some of our audience sure. members. Over, but let me just tell you one story specifically, which I, I tell the story a lot because it, it's a perfect example of how what, what we're shooting for in terms of this emotional response and making climate science something that's personal for people. This really felt um, during the audience engagement segment of, I think it was our second performance at the, at the planetarium in Oakland, a woman stood up um, to express what she had felt. And she said that, you know, I was listening to this music, watching the years tick by, and I was thinking to myself, this is how the music sounded when I was born. And then she said, well, and this is how it sounded when my daughter was born. And this is how it could sound when my granddaughter might be born. And she said that, that, that for the first time, it had, it had allowed her to take an issue that had been somewhat abstract, admittedly, um, it's out there somewhere, but to take that abstractness and dropped it right into the arc of her family's own history. And she said for her, that was really powerful that brought it home. So, so, so that, that, that's just one example of what we're, show, we're shooting for. Audiences do tell us that that emotional response is there. The question, the last thing we want people to do is just take all that energy and go home and let it dissipate. Right. Or be depressed, or be depressed, or be 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 frightened, and so I think a, a lot of what we've been really working hard on is how to help people take that energy and apply it productively, and in, 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 by by providing ideas and resources, both you know in terms of learning more about the issue. Uh, how can I learn more about this issue? I wasn't aware of the urgency. Now, where can I learn more? But also, what can I do both in my home, but also 
in my community? How can I build community around this issue? How can I build solidarity with other people around this issue? And that's really what we are, we, we, we are working on helping. When, when we do these concerts, especially in 2022, we're really gonna be working on that aspect of it. Um, for example, we just did a concert that was our first international live concert, which means that there were actually two live concerts on two continents that were merged, uh, one in San Francisco, one in Vienna, Austria, and we merged them into one concert that was streamed. And for the first time, we actually have, have, have worked out ways to really try to engage the audience a bit more on the action side, um, both by providing a lot of resources after the fact, but also then uh, inviting audiences to stay in touch with us and to, and to kind of report back on, on ideas on, on building on, on what people are doing with that, with that motivation and, and with that energy, that emotional energy that they felt during the concert. So, and then the other thing I should mention is that we have partner organizations we work with that are actively working on pathways to solutions. So for example, we've got organizations that like, for example, Global Footprint Network, we worked with them for a number of years now. And we provide, for example, some of the resources that they provide in terms of helping people to measure their footprint, their ecological footprint, as a way to better understand, you know, what is my, what is my contribution to this problem, but also what, what, what is my state doing? What is my country doing? How to, and what, what could be done to lower that, to lower that footprint? Uh, but we also work with, uh, for example, Interfaith Power and Light. That's another organization we work with that really is, is a faith-based organization that works with congregations of every religious faith across the country um, to help engage people or help, help people build community within their congregations around the issue. And we work with them, for example. So it's both working with organizations that already exist to help channel that that energy to them but also we like i say we, we we're, we're trying new things as well uh and this last concert was our first our first attempt at that you mentioned people getting in touch with you so how would they do that if, if they wanted to well in, the, in this particular case um we actually after the concert we sent people um and they invited us to do so we've we sent people both an action form, but also a resource brochure. And on the action form, it allows people to make pledges. And then if they want, they can invite us to send them a reminder three months later to check in on them to see how that pledge is coming along and to provide additional resources if and maybe connections with other organizations if they're stuck somehow in, the, in that pledge. So we really want to try to find ways to activate people. We, what we do find and what we do know, which is our core work, is that music is a very powerful convener and it is a very good way to convene new conversations around this around the, this this issue because again music is something that resonates with most people and it is a very viscerally felt language as well but for listeners who were not able to be at the concert what would they do the easiest thing to do is to, to be on our subscriber list, which is you can access through or, or sign up for on climatemusic.org, which is our website. On, at the bottom of our, of our landing page, there is a, uh, a sign up for our subscriber list. Pledges is an interesting idea and certainly familiar to most religious groups uh, and something they take seriously. So... I don't I haven't heard of there's sort of the more secular environmental groups using that approach, but I think that's a good one. Well, as I mentioned, we're just starting out with it. So we'll see how we can develop it uh, in, in the year ahead here. 
The feedback we've gotten so far suggests that the work we've been doing so far definitely has that emotional impact that we're looking for. It's just a question of, of um, you know, how, how, how to best convert that into positive action. Okay. Was there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners? I should mention also that, that although we have just a few of us, or two of us on our executive team, we have about 35 people across the art sciences and technology who are affiliated with the project in different aspects. So we have a science team, for example, of really leading scientists. We've got people doing you know, graphics for us, videos, things like that, who are associated with the project as well. So we are a, a very flat uh, sort of virtual organization, but that team has been remarkably stable over the last uh, seven, almost seven years now, and that's mostly pro bono hours. So it just shows, goes to show you that we're getting people who really are extremely skilled professionals in everything from science to technology who have been donating their time thousands and thousands of hours over seven years to make this project happen. Uh, and, and so that really, I think, is just another indication of the powerfulness of the idea. Mm-hmm. The scientists are and technology people are from what fields? Well, climate scientists. And then, and then on the technology side, earlier, a couple of years ago, for example, we had been uh, partnering with a, a lab in Palo Alto, California, in Silicon Valley, on ways we might use newer technologies to help augment the audience experience. So, for example, we, we, even, we even worked briefly on a, uh, an augmented reality version of climate music with them. And we actually have the initial uh, test still. Uh, we don't quite know what we're going to do with it. But mostly on the technology side, it's things like uh, helping to create the animations, the data animations that go into the visual uh, element of, of the piece. The animations and the, and the visuals are complex because they have to be, they have to be synchronized to the music. So, and then also we want to make sure that they don't overwhelm the music, but they provide enough information about the science so that people understand what's happening in the music. And they don't distract from the music. And they don't distract from the music, exactly. Right. Well, I just wanted to say that, that the, the thing that we, we also take pride in is, is that these pieces, although they are what we call science-guided, they're not just data sonifications or, or they're not just translations of raw data into sound, which, which would not be musical. I mean, these pieces, you could listen to just as music without any visuals, without even knowing that there's any, there's any other content there. And you would experience it as music. And that's what we're shooting for here. We're, you know, we're, we're shooting for, for, for art that has something to say about science. Yeah, I know that was clear in listening to those things. Yeah. yeah. Personally, I find the whole concept of using art of various forms to talk about climate change and other big issues very meaningful. Um, My background is as an artist, a painter, and graphic novelist, and now I have a radio show, and it's kind of like... I think music might be a better way than visual art for this particular uh, kind of message. For some reason, even though I also, I went to art school way back. That wasn't mostly what I did, but that was one thing I've done. It just seems to me. But but when you do the presentations, you it's a whole presentation. Yeah, it's a whole like experience. It's a it's, whole experience. But I think oh, the, yes. visual, the musical thing, compared to what I've seen with visual art, there have been a few exceptions it is probably stronger. 
Initially, the climate music project was supposed to have been a kinetic sculpture. Um, just a quick with the quick um, creation story of the, of the project, I had just finished a master's degree in environmental management and science. And I was really looking for a way to combine what I had learned with my studio practice here. And I was initially thinking I would do something around the carbon cycle that would that would be a sculpture that would move and mimic the, the, the movement of the carbon cycle that could then also be sped up with, you know, with, with increasing carbon dioxide emissions or, or fossil fuel emissions. And I was sitting at my desk sort of banging a metal rod at, at, at my workbench just trying to think about it. And that banging of the metal rod suggested a rhythm. And then that rhythm, of course, suggested music. And I said, no, let's just use music for this instead of a kinetic sculpture. And I think what is powerful about it is that, you know, because music flows over time, like the, um, the climate system does, it's also a complex system, like the climate system, not as complex as the climate system, but it is a complex system. And it really is something that in our imaginations is almost the closest thing we have to a time machine, which is exactly what we need, because we need to be able to transport people into the future let people understand what might be coming, what, you know, what, what our options are, and then come back to the present in time to talk it over and then hopefully make the right decisions. And music can take you on that kind of a journey in a way that I think few other art forms really can. It's more immersive, I think, somehow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Town Radio programming by going to gtownradio.com. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support.